Hey everybody, welcome to today's Take Heart. Hope you're doing all right. We have been looking at the Gospel of John as a church and uh, I've been loving it. And one of the things that um, has really sort of jumped out at me again are the, the reactions that people have to Jesus and how it's not what you would expect because the people who are nowhere with God, seemingly the broken, sinful people, they run to Jesus and they recognise him for who he is. And the people who are in many ways, they seem like they're mature, they're established, they're very religious. They're the ones that end up opposing Jesus. And we've been reading through the gospel and there are seven signs, seven miracles that Jesus does in John's gospel. And they work up towards the last and the greatest of those signs, which is when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11. And that's a really public miracle. There's lots of people there because they're having a funeral for Lazarus. It's been going on for days. And so Jesus calls Lazarus from the grave in front of everybody. Of course, what happens is news spreads. And the, the, some of the people who saw that happen, they go and they tell the religious leaders of the time. And the religious leaders in response to this call a meeting. And uh, you can read the meeting in, at the end of John chapter 11, but it's kind of all the top people. So they've got the chief priests. These aren't just any priests, they're the best priests, the chief priests. It's got the Pharisees. They are, without doubt, some of the most devoted Bible scholars in history. It's even got the high priest there, the head of all of the priests, and they have this meeting about Jesus, and they decide, oh my word, we've got to do something about him. And where they land is, and this is the high priest who says this, we need to put him to death. Now just think about what's happened and who they're talking about. Um, the signs that he's performed so far. You know, he's, he's converted loads of wine at a wedding into, in, sorry, loads of water at a wedding into 800 bottles of the very best wine. He's healed a child who was dying from a distance. He's, he's, um, he's healed a man who was crippled for 38 years. He has uh, given out free lunches to 5,000 people. He's walked across the surface of Lake Galilee and calmed a storm. He's, um, you know, he's healed a man who was born blind and he's just raised somebody from the grave. They've been in the grave for four days and now they're living and breathing and walking around again. And the response of the so-called religious elite, these people that you would think would be mature in their relationship with God, is to oppose him. It's to kill him. Isn't that crazy that that is these are the people and that's their response to him and I've been trying to work out well, what can we learn from that and I think the good news on the one hand is that we you know we're not the Pharisees um, you know we've surrendered our lives to Jesus we're not trying to put him to death we've received his death on our behalf and, and we celebrate that but at the same time, there is a hint of a warning, I think, in their, in their response for, for all of us. And it taps into, um, you know, what were their reasons behind it? And, and I think, at least in part, their reason was a desire to, to control God. They wanted to maintain control. They wanted to protect themselves and their position and their power. And they, couldn't, they just couldn't control Jesus. And that frightened them. And um, for all of us, we can have a tendency to want to box God in and to want to restrict him and limit him 
and sort of set him certain ways that he can work, but get them into a pattern that we can understand and uh, get him into a kind of a routine, as it were. And what can happen if we allow that to, to, to be the way that we live with God is that Jesus can do things in our lives or want to do things in our lives and we're the ones who oppose him. You know, he can want to open up something new in our hearts and we can be the ones who want to shut that down. He, he might want us to step back from something that we want to do and so again, we oppose him. He might want us to step out in something that we're afraid of for whatever reason, because of our position, our reputation, our privilege, our quote-unquote power. We don't want to go there because it, it, it scares us. We'll lose our security, but he wants us to go there. And so we can end up, again, finding ourselves opposing Jesus, even though we've given our lives to him. Do you recognize that in your life? Because I know I see it in the mirror. And um, I suppose one question that I've just been thinking about, just off the back of this, because I can identify with these these leaders who, who want to kind of... Um, who are frightened and, and want to maintain control. One thing I've been asking myself is, if God is God, will he not shock us? Isn't he bigger and greater and so infinitely beyond us that at times we will just be surprised and stunned and blown, blown away by, by what he says or by what he's wanting to do? And isn't the history of the church God, God doing this and constantly... Um, surprising us in new ways that he works. I think the history of the Spirit in the book of Acts and certainly in, in the church since has been that. And Billy Graham once talked about the, the symbols for the Holy Spirit and how sovereign they are. You know, he's the wind. You can't tell the wind where to blow. He's a dove. You can't tell the dove where to fly. He's water. And he says he's this great torrent of living water. We dig our little trenches and we say, oh God, you're going to work in this way and only this way. But God breaks out and he does it in his own way. And just to avoid that mistake and to avoid that, um, that willingness to shut God down, we need to understand clearly what maturity is and what it is not. And um, what it's not is it's not boxing God in and thinking we've got our head around him and we've worked everything out. And we know the answers. I love the way that um, John Wimber, who founded the Vineyard Movement, talked about following Jesus. And he says this, Every new step may cost us all the reputation and security we have accumulated up to that point. It costs us our life. A disciple is always ready to take the next step. If there is anything that characterises Christian maturity... It is the willingness to become a beginner again for Jesus Christ. It is the willingness to put our hand in his and say, I'm scared to death, but I'll go with you. I love that. If there's anything that characterizes maturity, it's the willingness to become a beginner again. It's the willingness to say, you know what, what have I missed? What have I missed? Or where do you want me to grow? Or what are you doing now that I haven't seen? And, um, you know, one of the things that impresses me most about Mike, and we've been working together for a long, long time now, is his willingness just to go back to the most basic of questions and, and, and ask of God and, and, and ask of himself and ask of us as a church, where have we gone wrong? Or what have we missed here? Or, you know, in the last 
months as this has happened, the pandemic, we've been seeing it as an opportunity to just revisit some some things. And, and Mike has instigated that. And I love it. We lead the church together, but he planted the church and he's been leading it for 30 years. And and yet he'll he'll say things like, you know what, I think I wonder if we might miss something when it comes to prayer. And he'll say, It's my fault, you know, I got busy. Um, I might have taken my eye off the ball. Can we just have an honest discussion? Uh, where could we grow in prayer? And we've been discovering prayer again as a team. You know, a little while ago he said to me, I'm just wondering why we see some things, you know, some healings, but we're not seeing them all. And we've been asking questions around healing and, and God, what can we learn there and what have we missed? Um, just, just the other day we were having a big discussion around discipleship. How can we disciple people better? What are our, what are our failings here? Jesus and also where are the areas that we can build on our strengths and what impresses me so much is that many people would consider him to be a veteran leader and he is indeed old he is very old he's seasoned and and that's the truth but the maturity that I see in him is is exactly from that quote it's like the willingness to just come back to the Lord and and relearn and re-listen and re-evaluate and accept and trust that there will be things that we haven't always got a handle on. And that's part of the journey. The Pharisees, if they made a mistake, it was to think they'd got it all. And they'd boxed God in and they'd, they'd pinned it all down. And, and what they did is they turned effectively from relationship to religion. And they substituted what was meant to be intimacy characterized by an open soft and receptive heart to what God was doing they substituted that for a formula and a plan and a program and so when Jesus began to move they opposed him rather than followed him and for us today I think the lesson is to ask ourselves the question to give ourselves a bit of time and say Lord what have you been trying to do in my heart that I've been shutting down what, are you, what area are you inviting me to grow in that perhaps will surprise me? What have you been saying that I, I haven't been listening to? Maturity is the willingness to become a beginner again for Jesus Christ. Oh God, surprise us and show us more of yourself. See you.